Tonight we pray. At the end of the preaching of the word of God tonight. Every one of us in this place. Will tremble at your word. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight I want us to think about. Living worship to God. What is living worship to God? What is the heart that pleases God? Where do we build God's house? Also, do we know that humble hearts are heaven's home? I want us to think about this important elements of Isaiah 66. You know, in the book of Isaiah, the more I study the book of Isaiah, I'm convinced that in the book of Isaiah, the prophet saves the best for last. As we have seen together in chapters 65 and 66, Isaiah gives us the description of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness, Jesus being the king. Over and over again, Isaiah points us to the promised Messiah, Christ, the Son of God. As the king of God's kingdom, that kingdom being the kingdom of righteousness. In chapter 65, you remember, beginning from verse 17, 25, Isaiah speaks of the new heaven and the new earth that God will create for his people to dwell in it forever. Do you remember how Isaiah described the new heaven and the new earth for us last Sunday evening? what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. We don't know much about the new heaven and the new earth, but Isaiah, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us at least three things about the new heaven and the new earth. It would be a place full of joy, constant, full, uninterrupted joy. Not the kind of joy that we uh, feel here on earth, but full joy. It would be a place without tragedy. No tragedy in the new heaven and the new earth. We're looking forward to that place. And then it would be a place of full satisfaction. I even continue wondering this week how many of you are still looking forward to this place. We love where we are sometimes. But where is your affection? Where is, where is your love? Where is your heart? What is the object of your joy, beloved? Is it this place? Or this place that we call America? It should be this place. 
But the question tonight from verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 66 is, who will be in the new heaven and in the new earth? Who is qualified to be in the new heaven and in the new earth? Who is going to receive God's approval to be in that place? The question tonight is, who is God going to favor to be in this place? Well, Isaiah tells us three things about, about it. First, the one who knows who God is will be in that place. The one who has the knowledge of God. Knowledge added on fellowship and communion with God, who God is. And one to whom God will show his favor will be there. We need to know these two things. Chapter 6-6 deals with these important heavenly matters. Isaiah speaks of these things to us in verses 1 and 2. Who God is and who God favors, approves to be in this place. So first, who God is. Notice verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? The question is, do we know God in this way? Do we know God as the God who rules and who owns heaven by placing his own throne on it, and as the God who makes the earth his footstool. Do we know God in this way? You know, these words, uh, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, is a description of God's absolute rule and sovereignty over his creation. For you and I to be in the new heaven and the new earth, we need to know God as this God. This statement, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, speaks of two special attributes of God. God's sovereignty and God's transcendence. God is sovereign. And God is transcendent. His, exi his existence is without limit. He's not bound by space, time, and any other power. Think about that. The lesson is God's sovereignty is essential for his kingdom. Because if he's not sovereign, then his kingdom is a joke. It's meaningless. If he's not sovereign, how is, how is he going to create 
new heaven and new earth for us. You know, we need a sovereign God for that, yes? Who is able to create new heaven and new earth. The same God who created everything out of nothing. Our God should be sovereign in order for you and I to be in the new heaven and the new earth. For example, one of the glorious promises that we have in the Bible from God is, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Or his ear, dull, that it cannot hear. Isaiah 59.1. Now listen, if God is not sovereign, that's impossible. But because God is sovereign, his heart is not short to save. His ear is not dull, not to hear our cry, our prayers. Our God is sovereign. In Luke 18.27, Jesus said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, for this to be a reality, God must be sovereign. Jesus must be sovereign for this to be real. Another promise, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, 6 to 11. When Jesus was ascending to heaven to go back to his father, Jesus told his disciples, uh, the, 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 the angels told the disciples, you see, he is ascending badly, and one day he will come in the same manner. He will return. He will come back in glory for that to happen. God must be sovereign. If God is not sovereign, these promises are a hollow. They're empty. You see, because God is sovereign, all authorities originates in Him and from Him. Human, human authority, angelic authority originates. The, the, the authority originates from God. Think about human authority. You remember Jesus standing before Pilate. And Pilate was speaking, Jesus was silent. In John 19, and Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you. Don't you know that I have authority over you? Remember Jesus' response? You would have no authority over me. Now listen to this word, unless. Unless it has been given you from above. Jesus was saying, Pilate, you are not sovereign. Pilate, you are not in charge. Whatever authority you have, it was given to you by my Father who is sovereign. Where does the authority that President Biden has originate from God? Where does the authority that your boss in your workplace has originate from God? 
Parents, where does our authority on our children originate? From God. All human authorities originate from God. They come from God. You see what Isaiah is saying here? If you don't know this, if you don't believe this, if you are not humble before this truth, you will not be in the new heaven and the new earth. You should know who God is. Of course, you must be saved through Christ, but those who are saved through Christ, they know this. They know this. What about angelic authority? In Ezekiel 28, we learn that the head of the angelic beings in heaven, the morning star, and then became Satan. He was thrown from heaven by God, who is sovereign after he rebelled against God. The morning star was fallen. Because of pride. It always amazes me for God the Father to destroy the work of Satan. Originally the morning star, he anointed another morning star, Jesus Christ, his son, who was perfect to come down to the earth and destroy the work of the former morning morning star. Isn't that amazing? The work of God. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. So even uh, authority that angels have comes from God. You see, all these authorities bow down and worship King Jesus. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning from verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority. See, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Now the son, you know, the son is subordinate to the father as his role as the mediator, willingly. As a mediator, as a servant. They are equal in power. In the morning we heard that Jesus is equal with God. Here he humbles himself before the father not because he's inferior to the Father. He's equal with God, with the Father, but he's the mediator, he's the servant. And God the Father gave everything under, to be under his feet. 
to be subjected to him. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. Therefore, go with my authority. You see, all authority comes from God because God is sovereign. And the second attribute described here for us is his transcendence. Listen to Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's his sovereignty. And then a, a rhetorical question comes. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? What Isaiah is asking here, or God is asking through Isaiah is, can you really confine me in one place? At the temple in Jerusalem, you think you can do that? You think you can limit me in one place? Jesus told the Samaritan woman, not on this mountain, not in Jerusalem. Because God is spirit. He's transcendent. His existence is without limits. He's everywhere. At the same time, King Solomon understood this in 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 27 Solomon said but will God indeed dwell on the earth behold heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you how much less this house that I have built you have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray toward this place, and I listen, and listen in heaven, in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. You see, the king was saying, you are transcendent. I am just building this house to honor you, to glorify you, not to confine you in one place. The king understood who God is. God is sovereign. God is transcendent. Then notice verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. See, what God is saying here is, I created heaven, I created earth. The temple is on the earth that I created. I am sovereign. I am transcendent. All these are the works of my hand. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it 
upon the rivers. The Lord, uh, the world, and everything in it belongs to God. I created all these things. See, what, what Isaiah is doing here is he's reminding us that if we want to be in the new heaven and the new earth, we need to know who God is. And we need to know God is sovereign, God is transcendent. And we cannot confine God in one place. And that calls for humility. That should kill pride. The pride of man today. God is the absolute authority. That is the truth, beloved. But what do you hear today? There is no absolute truth. Truth is relative. That's not true. God is the absolute authority, and that is the truth. That is the absolute truth. Secondly, who God favors. God is not only sovereign, He's not only transcendent. He cannot be confined in one place. We need to know that in order to be in the new heaven and the new earth and enjoy full joy, full satisfaction, free of tragedy. Listen, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, God is saying, I am sovereign, I am transcendent. I am so high, transcendent. But I also stoops down and favors this one. Who? The humble and with contrite spirit, I favor, I approve. And one who trembles at my word. Three things. Humble, contrite in spirit, and one who trembles at my word. Out of all his creation, there is one upon whom God showers his blessings, the humble, the contrite in spirit, and one who trembles at the word of God. I want us to grasp this tonight. What does that mean? God shows his favor to the humble. Humility is opposite of pride, arrogance. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Why is that? Because God opposes the proud, gives his grace to the humble. God loves a humble person. But why is humility here? Humility is here 
in relation to who God is. God is sovereign, God is transcendent, and all people on earth, they need to be humble before this sovereign God, before this transcendent God, in order to be in the new heaven and the new earth. We live in a time, beloved, where man, you and I, not you and I, but people like you and I, views themselves as God. I'm in control of my life. I'm not going to allow God to control my life. I'm the God of my own life. It is my right. What I do with my body, it is my right. To whom should I marry? It is my right. Tomorrow I can be a woman. Tomorrow I can be a man and marry a man. Isn't that how man declares to be the God of himself? Where is humility? Where is contrition? The result is God will never favor people like that. He will never welcome them to, to the new heaven and the new earth. Humility. Psalm 119, 119. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross or chaff. Therefore, I love your testimonies. I love your law. I love your word. I tremble at your word because you discard the wicked, the proud, the humble with a contrite spirit, like King David. King David, after he was confronted by prophet Nathan, and then he repented, you remember. He saw the problem of sin in his life. He repented, and he said this in Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Yes, God will not despise a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Because he's telling us in his word, I favor, I approve, I embrace, I welcome the humble. And a person with contrite spirit. One who trembles at my word. One who is, who is greatly um, delighting in God's word. You know, one who trembles at the word, the word of the Lord means one who reads and meditates the word of God and loves God, honors God, respects God. One who is shaped, shaped by the word of God. One who loves God because of his word. Because of the revelation that he sees in God's word. He loves God. He's, he's the one who trembles at the word of God. Not because of uh, fear. As a slave would fear his master. No. But as a bride 
who would love her, her husband. That relationship, that love, that affection. Why do we read the Word of God? Why do we meditate on the Word of God? To increase in our love of God. Well, in the morning, remember what we saw. They were searching the Scriptures, the Pharisees. They were searching the Scriptures. Every day, every moment of their life. But they were not seeing Christ in them. They missed the point. They were searching the scriptures to find a way to justify themselves by keeping the law. And Jesus told them, they speak of me. They bear witness about me. So beloved, trembling at God's word means loving the word of God, honoring God. Respecting God, worshiping God, serving God. And to be humble under his mighty hand. Knowing that he gives grace and he exalts the humble. And one with a contrite spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word, the revelation of your word for each and every one of us, for us to know who you are, that you are sovereign, that you are transcendent, that you approve and give your favor to the humble and to the one with the contrite spirit. We long to be in the new heaven and the new earth. For that we ask you to bless us with these things. To let these things grow in our life. Controls us. Guide, guide us. Always bring us to you. Our sovereign and transcendent God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and...